Now, discernment can be pretty hard. It's hard to work out who to listen to, who you can trust, particularly when it comes to what they teach about God. Uh, this has always been hard, but in our context, the difficulty has a particular flavour. Uh, for some of us, during our lifetime, once trustworthy churches, uh, denominations and organisations have shifted. They used to stand for the truth, but now they either ignore or deny the gospel of Jesus. Uh, Media and social media haven't helped either. Uh, The small bit of religious programming on TV, it's not put there because of truth, just whoever has the money to buy the airtime. Uh, The Facebook or YouTube algorithm doesn't understand truth. It just knows what gets attention, what keeps your eyeballs on the screen, and that's generally conflict and anger. And so, this might be different for you, but when I get on YouTube or Instagram, I do get recommended some fantastic gospel teaching and Christian thinking, and right next to it or below it is some sham, crazy, self-appointed prophet. But it all shows up on your same screen. It's in the same feed. How are you meant to discern who to listen to? Discernment is hard work. It can be hard to work out who's saying the truth and who should be listened to and who's leading you astray. It's always been hard work, which is why 2 Peter was written. 2 Peter is a letter written to Christians who are being influenced by false teachers. They haven't been able to discern them for what they really are. And so this letter is written to teach them and us how to hold fast to the truth. False teaching is a perennial problem. It's been around since the very beginnings of the Christian movement. It goes back even further. In ancient Israel, there were false prophets, uh, people who claimed to speak with God's authority but were liars. Uh, But even though it's a perennial problem, God promises to do something about it. So have a look at verse 1. This is 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. Uh, false teachers are like weeds. Uh, you wish that all you had to do is weed your garden once, pull out the weeds, and that'd be it. Uh, no more weeds. But that's not how it works. No matter how many weeds you pull out, no matter how much poison you spray on them, they come up again. Uh, Peter's warning is false teachers are the same. In this, he's echoing Jesus' warning that false prophets, wolves in sheep's clothing, will threaten God's people. Listen up. God is warning us too. Jesus promised, Peter warned, there will be false teachers. There were false teachers in the first century. There are false teachers in the 21st century. We're not told this so that we get anxious or worried, but so we can be alert and aware. This is an important message for us. We need to listen to 2 Peter 2. 
One of the common threads between false teachers and false prophets is they deny God's judgment. Many of the false prophets we meet in the Old Testament, that's what they said. When prophets like Jeremiah were warning of coming judgment, that God would punish his people for their sin, the false prophets would say, no, God's not going to punish us. We're the chosen people. We've got the temple. But they were wrong. They were false prophets. They were lying. They were optimistic, but they were lying. Just as God had come in judgment in the past, he came on judgment on God's people then. The false teachers in Peter's day were the same, denying that Jesus would come to judge the living and the dead. And we see this in chapter 3. They scoff and mock. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Just like the false prophets, God is not going to judge. But as we heard last week, The false teachers are false because they say, well, the Old Testament isn't true. It's just myths and man's interpretation, particularly when it speaks of God's judgment. Just, But as we heard last week, the Old Testament can be trusted. Its ultimate author is God. And so when it speaks of God's judgment, it's a warning to us. And how does the Old Testament warn of God's coming judgment? Well, Peter goes to give us three examples, three examples of God's judgment. And these examples are a two-pronged, a double-pronged attack. On one prong, they're an attack on the false teaching. If God judged the wicked and saved those who trusted him in the past, then he's going to do that now. The false teachers are wrong because that's what God is like. So it's an attack on the false doctrine. And on the other prong, it's a warning a warning that if God has judged in the past, then he's going to do it again. God will punish the false teachers. So Peter gives three examples to prove this, three examples that are all found in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. The first example is pretty out there. In fact, there's a fair bit of stuff in 2 Peter that's a bit out there. It's a bit weird, but it's God's punishment of rebellious angels, which is recorded in an obscure story in Genesis 6. But we're not going to go to Genesis 6 today, but have a read of what Peter says in verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment... So in Genesis 6, we read of these sons of God, spiritual beings who are judged because of their sin, their sin of taking advantage of women. And there's, as I said, there's lots in Genesis 6. We're not going to go into the weeds today. The point is God judged them. God sent them to hell. So that's the first example. The next event is much more well known. It's the judgment of the world and the rescue of Noah and his family from the flood. Verse 5. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. It's weird, isn't it? Quite often the story of Noah is considered good material for kids. There are so many kids' stories, kids' toys based around Noah and his ark. We we tell it to kids because it's a, a cute story of animals and two by two. But it's really a a gut-wrenching event, a gut-wrenching moment of God's judgment. Over the last 12 months, we've seen the destruction of flooding in our region 
throughout Australia, I think most horrifically in Pakistan, thousands killed, millions homeless. The flood is a gut-wrenching moment of God's judgment. But it's also an astounding image of salvation. Noah and his family rescued by God. And that's the point. God will judge and save. So we had two events so far, the judgment of the angels, the judgment of the world. The third event is the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, but the sparing of Lot and his daughters. Verse 6. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, lawless, For that righteous man, living among them day after day, was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Uh, This event is in Genesis 19. We read part of it in our Old Testament reading last week. It's a horrific moment of human evil. The man of the city, driven by wicked, abusive desires. What's just as disturbing is Lot's proposed alternative, his daughters. And then Peter goes and calls him righteous Lot. You wouldn't necessarily come to that conclusion from Genesis 19. How can Peter say this? We need to remember righteous doesn't mean perfect. Righteous doesn't mean perfect. He's not saying Lot was without fault, but... Lot heard God's word, he trusted God's word, and he fled God's judgment and found refuge in God. He isn't righteous because he's perfect, but because he trusted God. These three events, the angels, the flood, Sodom and Gomorrah, the point is God has judged and he will judge. What he's done in the past, he'll do again. Judging the wicked and rescuing all those who trust in Christ. Verse 9, if this is so, if those three events occurred, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the righteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of the flesh and despise authority. Now, the false teachers in Peter's day, uh, they might have been saying, look, Jesus won't come in power because how could he both judge and save? Won't God's people also get caught up in the judgment as it happened during the exile when both righteous and wicked were, were taken out of the land of, of Israel into, into exile in Babylon? But these events from the first book of the Bible show, God judges and God saves. He's done it before. He will, he will do it again. And this is a warning, not just to the correct wrong doctrine, wrong teaching. The issue isn't just that they need to start teaching the truth that Jesus is the judge, but it's also a personal warning. God will judge false teachers. And friends, it's a warning for us too. God will judge those who indulge the flesh and despise authority. The only rescue 
is in Christ. God will judge those who indulge the flesh and despise authority. And that's the false teachers. God's judgment will come on those who live out false teaching, who indulge their flesh and their pride, who abuse power and authority for their own benefit. Now, Peter gives us a graphic picture of the false teachers of his day. First, they're puffed up. They have an overblown sense of their own importance. So much so, they slander those they have no right to even address. Verse 10 again. Verse 10. Bold and arrogant. They are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. We can't say exactly what this refers to. Uh, Maybe they were mocking the role angels will have in God's judgment. Even if the specifics are vague, the point is clear. Uh, These teachers are like wild animals. They slander, they mock angels and people they don't understand. They have no respect, they are arrogant. They are always right. Everyone else is always wrong, even the angels of God. Uh, This picture of being like unreasoning animals, it reminds me of of people who are self-appointed heresy hunters. People who think they're being discerning, but they go too far. They're actually just arrogantly tearing everyone else down. For some of them, I'm sure they started off well-meaning. They rightly pointed out, they noticed something wrong, some wrong teaching, some wrong living, and they rightly pointed out false teaching where it is, but then they get so used to the buzz of critiquing and correcting, they end up feeling that no one else is right enough, no one else is correct enough. Uh, These people, they could never join a church. They're so arrogant, they'd never submit to godly authority, to elders. Discernment is hard. We need to be discerning, but we also need to be humble. We need to be humble as we do so. As we heard in chapter 1, we need to make every effort to grow in goodness, godliness, affection and love. I wonder if that's why Peter starts with that command in chapter 1. Before he gets to the, you know, blasting the false teachers, he reminds us of the virtues, the way of Christ that enables us to be humbly discerning and not like the false teachers. Uh, They're not growing in virtue. In fact, and this is the second thing we learn about them, the first thing was their arrogance, the second is that they parade their sin. Verse 13, they will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Uh, 
This description, particularly Balaam, raises something uncomfortable for us. Uh, You can find the story of Balaam in Numbers chapter 22, Numbers 22. Balaam is a prophet for hire, a prophet for profit. The thing about Balaam is, although he's got no morals, although he's motivated by money, by greed, he is cruel and thinks only of himself, but what he says is true. His words are God's words. When he speaks, he speaks truth. But he is rightly condemned by Peter because his heart is far from God. And this is uncomfortable for us. This is uncomfortable for us because we are people who love truth, who value true doctrine. But Balaam shows us you can have true doctrine and still be a false teacher. You can be the best Bible teacher in the world, but if you're adulterous and greedy, you are a false teacher. Christianity is not merely a set of facts. It's a living relationship with the true God. It's knowing, worshipping and submitting to God the Father by the mercy we find in God the Son through the power and life of God the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter how much you defend the truth. If your eyes are full of adultery, if you abuse Women, if you're enraptured by greed and power, that's a false teacher. And we need to hear this because, and this is all too common, we, like all humans, it is part of our sinful inclination, we can be more about the tribe than about truth. If someone's part of our tribe, if they're a good Bible teacher, that gets lots of respect amongst Christians. But then the truth is revealed about who they really are and our instincts are often to protect the tribe at the expense of truth. But God isn't fooled. Verse 17. These people are springs without water and mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred commands command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. Uh, if someone comes into the orbit of the gospel and then becomes a respected teacher, a leader of God's people, but then shows themselves to be what they really are, teaching what is false, being entangled in sin themselves, but also spreading that to others, entangling others in sin, in greed and lusts. Then they're like a dog having a second go at its spew or a pig that was briefly clean but goes back to the mud 
be better for them to have not known any of the truth at all. Especially when their false teaching spreads to others. Now Peter has painted a vivid picture for us. When you see it like he describes it, you go, well, how, how can I not see blind, uh, false teaching for what it is? But we need to admit, we know that it's hard to be discerning. Discerning for all kinds of false teachers. Those who live lie, who, who, sorry, who teach lies, but live exemplary lives. That's one type of false teacher, isn't it? Their words are false, but their lives are kind of okay. And then those who teach what is true, but live lies. And then there are those who do both, which are the false teachers in Peter's day, denying the truth that Jesus will return to judge and then living like judgment will never come. But it is hard to be discerning when you're in the thick of it, when it's a person you know and you've looked up to for years, but then you start to wonder. The first thing Peter says is actually a comforting truth. The first thing Peter says to us, is false teachers will face the judgment of God. And this is comforting news. It's comforting for those who've been wronged, who are victims or survivors of the false teachers. It's good news when you are aware of a false teacher, but nothing seems to stop them. You blow the whistle, but no one wants to listen, and they just keep getting more power, more influence. God's judgment will come. That is a comfort. We also need to be alert. There will be false teachers. And I think in our circle, we need to, particular, we need to be particularly alert for the teacher whose doctrine is kind of right, but whose life is false and denies everything they say. They do such damage to the cause of Christ. And the damage is often, often amplified because... We don't want to believe what is revealed. Now, it's right to take your time. Don't always believe the first bit of rumour or innuendo. But when the evidence comes out, the investigation is done. We need to accept the distressing truth that someone we once trusted was corrupt, a false teacher. I think we can find this hard to believe because in a downstream way, we are victims too. We trusted the person and through their abuse of others, they've betrayed us too. And sadly, this kind of story is heard too often. We use the term scandals, but I think we should start using the words the Bible uses. The men about whom this truth is revealed are false teachers. It doesn't matter how much truth they may have said, like Balaam. His words were true. Somehow, it blows your mind. Read Numbers 22. He very much speaks. He speaks God's word. God speaks through him, yet he is a false teacher, a false prophet. So how do we learn to be discerning about false teachers? We've got to drench ourselves in the truth. I'm told those who are trained to spot counterfeit money, the way they're trained, they spend weeks Handling the real thing. Be so familiar with the truth that a lie sticks out like a sore thumb. Both true doctrine and true living, godly living. So 
Know God's truth well. Know the Bible well. Know the truth. In a really practical way, whenever someone's teaching the Bible, have a Bible open in front of you. Check out what is taught. Do it when I'm preaching, please. And if I say something the Bible doesn't say, call me out. Come and talk to me about it. There is a difference between a false teacher and someone who makes a mistake when they're teaching. The difference is if someone's made a mistake, if they've misunderstood the Bible and taught something that's not true, and if you point it out to them, they're going to be thankful. Yes, a little embarrassed, probably even more than embarrassed, mortified because they thought they were teaching the truth and now you've pointed out to them, but they'll also be humble enough to admit their mistake. So please do that for me. If I say something that's not true, tell me. And if I don't listen, then the great thing about our church is I am accountable. Take your complaint to the elders and they'll pass it on to the presbytery and then those ministers and elders will investigate. If you're reading a Christian book or you hear someone on Christian radio or online and if what they say or sing isn't what the Bible says, then stop listening. And if you're not sure, because it is hard to be discerning, then ask, ask me, ask a trusted Christian friend. Just because something is on the internet, or even if it's a book that's sold at Kurong, it doesn't mean it's right. So check it against God's word, and if you're not sure, ask. It is hard work to be discerning. But God's word says there will be false teachers. So we need to be alert, we need to be discerning, Because the truth of Jesus is precious. Because through it, we grow in grace. Let's pray. Father God, grow us in your truth. Help us be discerning, to check everything against your word, what is taught, how teachers live. Help us not listen, to not be influenced by false teaching, but to hold fast to what is true and good. Protect us, protect churches from false teachers, from those who teach what is false, from those who live what is false. Comfort us in the knowledge you will not be slow in bringing judgment. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.